You are listening to episode 8 of the EU Startups Podcast. Today, our head of content, Charlotte, is interviewing Ida Tin, the co-founder and CEO of the successful female health startup, Clue. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the EU Startups Podcast. Today, we're moving the sponsorship message to the end of the podcast, and we'll start right into today's interview. By the way, if you're interested to advertise on the EU Startups Podcast or on eustartups.com, please contact me through thomas at eustartups.com, and I'm happy to forward you our rate card. And now, without further ado, let's jump right into the recorded interview. Okay, so I wondered if we could just start with a quick introduction from yourself and maybe if you could briefly explain how you started Clue. My name is Ida Tin. I am CEO and co-founder of Clue. I'm sitting here in Berlin and um, I started the company because I was really puzzled that there had been so little innovation uh, within family planning specifically, um, but female health sort of more broadly. And I thought, well... Now that we have supercomputers in our pockets uh, and we can collect data in many different ways through sensors, maybe there is something we could do to really bring data uh, into this realm of female health. Yeah, so in that way, Clue is quite groundbreaking because it allows women to collect data about themselves like on their mobile phone, right? So it's very accessible. And then they can use that data to make decisions about their life, whether they want to have children or not, and to understand themselves better. So thinking about the, the data, um, if somebody's thinking of using Clue, could you explain on a practical level what data people can collect about themselves, like what they can track specifically, and then what the Clue app does, um, what kind of intelligent feedback it would give back to the user? So at Clue, you can customize what kind of data you're interested in tracking, but we have 32 different tracking categories, and they're all things that are related to your cycle, which is, of course, not your period, but also all the other exciting things that happen throughout this hormonal cycle that we go through for so many years of our lives. Um, so you can track things like pain, sexual activity, mood swings, um, skin, sleep, many other things that are scientifically proven to be affected by or affecting the cycle. And in that way, people can start building a more comprehensive understanding of what's actually happening in their body through this uh, cycle. And what Clue does is that it helps people recognize patterns and correlations. So for instance, you might experience migraines that are related to your hormonal fluctuations. Or you might see that your mood is impacted by where you are in your cycle. Mm -hmm. It can also be things like your sex drive might be impacted through mm -hmm. um, things that are happening in your body. So we really, um, in a way, you could say that by using technology and by collecting data, we help sort of give the body a voice so that women can, can hear the bodies even more than what they maybe could without. 
Mm-hmm. So in a way, it is also works as a self-education tool and removes the the mystery about cycles and reproductive health and and helps women to understand their own bodies in a, in a deeper way. Um, yeah. So thinking about that educational aspect, was that something that uh, beyond just the tracking, was that something that you always had in mind from the beginning of Clue and how has it developed over the past few years and that educational aspect, how do you see it evolving in the future for Clue? Yeah, we did recognize, I think from the beginning that people need to learn and understand and be educated more about how this pretty magical uh, biological system actually works. And then also we understood that it's not enough to collect data and then mirror back sort of a graph or a number. We really had to provide context for people to understand what does it mean? You know, if I am being told that my cycles are 36 days, like what does that mean? Am I healthy? Am I normal? Like, am I fine? Um, And really help people understand that it's really about understanding what's healthy and normal for you um, within some boundaries of what considered sort of clinically healthy. So the educational aspect was important from the beginning. I think over the years we've come to understand how important it really is and how much that's part of the value that we provide users to give some information that is really scientifically solid. We can see in the landscape of female health, there's a lot of, misinformation and myths and even sort of purposefully misinformation happening. So we wanted to give people a place where they could kind of trust that what they read was actually scientifically all right. So that is something that we have, yeah, sort of the scientific base, something that we just keep really putting a premium on. And then making the, the educational content more and more sort of readily available and accessible and sensitive to all the many different situations that women are in is something that we constantly are looking to improve. And something that I found interesting when I was looking about all the different features um, that that Clue offers is that there's one called Clue Connect, which also helps to not only educate the, the women using the app, but also the people around them. That's right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's true. So Clue Connect um, was built because we saw that a lot of women um, wanted to be able to share some level of information with people that they trust. Um, it can be the partner, but it could also be a flatmate or um, sharing between a mother and a daughter or a father and daughter or a coach even. So we wanted to do something that felt empowering to women and something where women are in charge of, of sharing how much, you know, you know, they're the ones who are sharing the data. It's not somebody looking over their shoulder and getting access to something that, that they would feel uncomfortable sharing. Um, and on the other side, we also saw a lot of men who said, you know, I'd, I'd love to understand better what's actually going on for my partner uh, and to support her. And so I think it was, yeah, it was sort of a mutual from, from all sides that like if we could use technology to maybe also help facilitate some of these conversations that can be a bit tricky, you know, you can sort of pull up a phone and be like, look, you know, this is, this is where we are. Or for people trying for a baby, you know, to know when to maybe not go on a business trip. Yeah. And you mentioned the word empowerment there, which I think is really interesting because um, it's bringing 
transparency <laughs> um, to not only just the, the woman who's using that, but also the people around her, which empowers everyone in that circle and uh, in sort of an educational way as well, um, as well as destroying the taboos around women's health. So thinking about that, that topic, um, I've, I heard you speak in another interview about uh, like a cultural shift that we're seeing at the moment where the general population and women in particular are demanding more agency or choice around many aspects of their lives and using technology to, to pursue this. And I suppose that when we say technology, um, many times we're talking about our mobile phone because it's this powerful little computer that we have in our pocket. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so I wondered if you could um, talk a little bit about that. So to start with sort of how to loop in people in your circle or in your, in your surrounding, for us, it's been really important to say that, you know, we take a very inclusive approach and in saying female health is something that actually touches everybody because everybody has, you know, first of all, come out of a woman, <laughs> but secondly, also have people in their lives that it's affecting. So we wanted to make it, yeah, to make clue inclusive and accessible also to men. Um, and people that are non-gender binary to make sure that they can also um, feel comfortable and at home at Clue. I do really think that there is a big cultural shift happening where people are starting to question some of these taboos or assumptions in culture around menstruation and reproductive health and being, um, you know, somebody with female biology. You know, why must it be embarrassing to have your period when without peers there would be no humans on the planet <laughs> you know yeah. why why must I hide that um that my life is not you know a flat line I have curves you know mm -hmm. my, you know and I'm and I'm circular like there are different things happening in my system every single day and I feel that as a culture we need a lot more space for these experiences these life experiences that we have with these with, you know, having this biology. So I feel that there is this sort of expansion where people are starting to pull things into the public domain that used to be very private because it needs to be, it needs to be seen and it needs to be taken seriously. We need to do research on things. We need to provide work conditions and take this part of life seriously. And so on so many levels, mm -hmm. we need more space in culture. And you just mentioned the research there. Um, I know that Clue uses um, data in, in, in two ways. The, the data is used to empower the users um, to track their, their own bodies, but also Clue is using the data collected to accelerate medical research, which in turn is helping to destroy taboos and, and push, push forward um, health innovation. So uh, what kinds of health projects have you been involved in? Do you work with universities? Um, do you run your own projects, uh, your own uh, research projects? How does it work? So we do various things. We recognize that we're sitting on this very unique and large data set on the cycle, one of the largest in the world. And for researchers, you know, having access to this kind of data was, you know, something that they could never have even imagined just a few years ago. And of course, very exciting because it means that they can do research at an accelerated rate because they can, they can ask questions and get many answers back really fast and they can look at much larger data sets. So we, we felt the responsibility to make this data set also work for sort of a social and societal good. 
Um, so we share anonymized data with full consent from our users to selected research partners. And they are typically universities or big research institutions. We've been very privileged to be working with some of the you know, top tier research institutions in the world. And um, so we saw that happening. People came to us and said, hey, could we, you know, could we do a research project together? So we decided to then also actually do a call for proposals to say, hey, science community, we are, you know, we do have this data. What kind of projects could you imagine doing together with us? And we mm. were super excited to see that there was a lot of interest. And we uh, now have, I think, currently nine science project collaborations ongoing. And it's really so diverse, the questions that people are answering or trying to answer. Um, so it might be research questions like, you know, how does pollution affect the cycle. Um, we're doing a project together with MIT on that. Um, we have looked at how do women, can, you know, look and experience male condoms. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have looked at how does the cycle affect sex drive and sexual activity and how does various forms of birth control mm-hmm. uh, affect these things and many other things. And it's, you know, my, my motivation is, my sort of hypothesis is that over time, this new knowledge will trickle down and become better care for people. Mm-hmm. And so we are sort of imagining this loop where, you know, a user will enter a data point that can help move science forward, which then in turn informs doctors so that they can give better care to that same user, you know? So it sort of comes mm-hmm. from a circle. And you, you publish some of them, the research on the app as content as well for the users to read? Yes, that's true. So one part is that we help researchers publish uh, scientific papers, but then we also take these new insights and turn them into content that is um, aimed at our audience and make sure that it's accessible and interesting for people who don't have a scientific background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sort of translating all of the, the jargon <laughs> into yeah, something. Exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, so talking about still talking about the research but changing direction a little bit traditionally a lot of health research has focused on male health which of course could be for a number of reasons like um, general discrimination and women's bodies are cyclical so maybe they need a different approach when it comes to research but when it when we're talking about hormonal contraception and fam- family planning there's a reduced interest and research in male options, which is kind of the reverse. <laughs> um, it's, it's a, and it's interesting because um, men are fertile all the time, not just during a specific time window. So I wanted to ask your perspective on why you think this might be. And do you think that in the future there would be a, a, a widespread hormonal male contraceptive or maybe even an app like Clue, which would maybe track male fertility but obviously in a different way um i just wanted to know what you thought about that yeah so i would say generally there's been a, a, an acute lack of innovation in family planning method and it's problematic because women have many different needs depending on where on the planet they are how old they are how many kids they have like so we really need a whole variety of options to choose from uh, i believe and you know, the pill was an amazing innovation and I'm grateful for it, but it, it's not the silver bullet that's perfect for us. So we need more options. And I can see that there are a decreasing interest in taking hormones every day from women. Uh, many women don't feel 
happy about taking hormones. Um, they might still do it because that might be what they consider to be the best option for them at that point in their lives. Mm-hmm. I don't think necessarily that we should aim for having men taking hormones the way that women have been doing it. I think we have been suffering through a lot of side effects and I, you know, I wouldn't want men to have a lot of side effects either. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the sort of the obvious reason why we focus more on female contraceptions because it's the women who bear the whole cost if something goes wrong so they are the ones probably most sort of you know diligent about making sure that the birth control is is really working but Mm. I think there is a huge opportunity to really think about how we involve both parties in thinking about contraception and digital is a great way to do that right because we can you can share information you can share like a decision-making process in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to the point about why is it this sort of imbalance in how we do research for things related to female biology and things related to male. I mean, I think it's, you know, there's not one answer. It's very complex. It who, who thinks about the problems that they decide to work on, you know, what's top of their minds. And if it's all men, then maybe they just simply don't think about these things as much. Um, mm-hmm. And then the trouble of doing scientific work on bodies that are not yeah you know consistent over a period of time is is an extra challenge but I think these things are becoming more of sort of a conversation topic and something that we recognize that we need to tackle more but there is still much work to be done there really is yeah cool thank you um so uh, continuing on the medical research journey <laughs> um, what do you think would need to be changed so that medical research and um, well, femtech technologies could focus more on female health, for example, um, like endometriosis or these these conditions that have been um, for a long time somewhat ignored. Do you think? Um, well, who who do you think would need to get more involved? Um, I'm guessing you would maybe say governments or um, startups or what? What's your perspective? You know fundamentally i think women need to use their voices a lot more they need to show their anger when they're not getting the care they deserve but they need to say no this this solution is not good enough like we need more innovation we need technology to play a role we need more research to be done i feel that women are suffering sort of silently um a lot we know that on average it takes seven years for women to get diagnosed with endometriosis something that is you know very painful and so i i actually feel in some on some very basic level, women need to start speaking up more. Um, and I fully acknowledge that there are many deep, deep reasons why women don't do that. And so this is not to sort of put any blame on women at all. But if you ask me what will start creating change, I think it starts with women raising the voices and, you know, building products and, um, and shaping the world. And I think now that we are sort of building the world again through algorithms and technology it's particularly important that women start being part of that creation process Mm -hmm. and I think fundamentally people build things that they care about (laughs) and Mm -hmm. so if women care about these things they need to go and 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 be part of building them and include men in the process I I deeply believe that we need you know diverse teams building things for the world I'm not I'm not a fan of people saying you know women building things for women I, I really think we need diversity and um, 
And we need the men because they are still the ones who have, you know, the power and they sit on the money and the venture capital funds, etc. So we absolutely need men to get in, interested and excited about the opportunities in female health. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, and then coming back to Clue <laughs> um, and, and the, the company, thinking about um, the money that you've raised, you've, I think you've raised over 30 million in the past few years. Could you tell us a bit about the, the process behind your funding rounds? And if you would have any advice for founders who are trying to close rounds at the moment it's a bit of a difficult time at the moment with the the pandemic um but if you had any advice for the founders who might be listening i think it's always helpful to understand that um raising money is both a financial conversation you have with people but in many ways it's also a social um process so really understanding you know all the sort of social dynamics around it who gave the introduction who really has power inside the organization that you're trying to raise from what is their decision making process um, and understanding sort of I think just even filtering out and talking to the right people is a really important first step like if you're trying to pitch to a fund who only does later stage and you're a little bit earlier like that's a waste of time you'll get the meeting but you don't get the money so sort of helping understand who you target is a big important thing Um, and then I will say the way that venture capital is structured still, I think this is changing, but still is that they have amended from the LPs, which really is very narrow, which is basically money only. <laughs> so you might have funds who say, you know, they care about, you know, supporting innovation or all kind of things. But my experience is that in the end, they really care about money and growth. And I think this is very backwards and I think it is going to change, but I think as a founder, you want to be really clear on what are the inflection points where it's helpful to, or where it's possible to raise capital um, and be very sort of non-illusional about what VCs will value. And this is also a criticism to VCs. I will say that in the same sentence, because I think that if you only care about money, you're going to, we, you know, we as a species and as a planet are going to end up in very strange places Um, so this must change, but for now as a founder, I think you need to be really clear what, like exactly what kind of milestones do you need to reach before you can go out and raise around. And this of course changes as your company matures and as, mm-hmm. as and also as the landscape changes. Mm, so it could uh, be about also finding the right timing for you and your company and not just thinking that you should raise money, but trying to find Uh, the right moment for each round? I mean, often I think as a startup, you don't have the privilege to sort of choose exactly when you raise money. You raise money when you can see your runway is coming to an end. But being clear about sort of what do we need to have accomplished before somebody will invest more money into the company and really target your efforts and your, you know, focus your energy around reaching these goals, I think is a really... It sounds simple, but it can be really difficult because you maybe want to do things that are sort of long-term investments or things that you know will make you competitive in the market, but it might not reflect directly in your KPIs. Like there can be many reasons why this is difficult to do, but fundamentally just be really clear, like what do I need to have done so that I can raise money the next time? Mm-hmm. Um, and when it comes to Clue's, um, Clue's business model, I understand that from the beginning it was a free app and now you have a subscription model. 
Um, so at what point did you bring that in and will that change in the future? We brought that in relatively late and I would say in a very sort of um, downplayed way. Now we are make, you know, sort of bringing that a little bit more up to the surface. And in hindsight, I think I would have liked to have done that a little bit sooner because fundamentally I believe that the world has to pay for software uh, because otherwise we pay with our attention, with our data and other things that are intransparent and doesn't create the world that I want to live in. So we are we have to some extent sort of educated people in this space that that the value we provide they can get for free and for in our case it really has been for free because we've been backed by venture capital so we didn't have to make any money <clears throat> but in there are many other players in the market who you know monetize in ways that are intransparent and i think very non-user friendly so i'm happy now to have a model that is very you know it's very transparent because I think how you make money defines who you are. And if you don't understand as a consumer how a company is making money, I think you can assume that unless they have raised venture capital that they're still living off, um, that they are doing something that you might not like as a user. Mm-hmm. So I feel good about having a model that is very clear. And, um, and yeah, fundamentally, if you, you know, if you think you're getting value out of Clue, at some point we ask you to pay something and hopefully that, you know, <laughs> making it accessible to many people. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so there, you mentioned that um, that maybe you would have liked to have brought in the subscription model earlier. So thinking about that, what have been your biggest learnings from from building Clue um, from your entrepreneurial journey, and how could you pass those on as advice for other founders? I know it might be a bit difficult because maybe <laughs> a big question specific to your your startup and your situation um but maybe you have some pieces of advice you know when i when i think about it i would say it's actually not specific to to this to this industry i would say as a founder your own drive your own health your own energy is sort of a really scarce resource i mean i've now been building clue for close to a decade and um you know you have to be anchored in some very deep sense of purpose and meaning i think and then you have to allow yourself to, to, to care about um, being healthy. And that might mean, you know, a ton of different things to different people. But in my case, it's been important to really take my own sort of inner developmental journey really seriously, um, my own sort of body awareness journey and, and spend resources and time on it. And also sort of not halfway hiding it for the organization, but say, no, this is, <laughs> you know, this is part of what's important. Um, and then also this might seem super obvious, but I, I feel that many women are maybe faced with this choice of like, do I start a family or do I start a business? And for me, it was always clear, like, no, I, I don't accept that to be a choice. I want it to be possible to do both. And that also means creating a work life where it's possible. And I feel as a founder, you have that privilege and that, power to actually shape your work life so that it fits you and especially as women i just encourage you all like take the space you need to be mothers to be part of a family to take care of yourself and because that allows everybody else around you to do it and that's how we build a healthy work culture i believe Mm, 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 mm. good advice (laughs) (laughs) sounds easy it's hard to also for me yes um especially being the founder of a company i can imagine um a lot of extra hours and um but you also have that extra freedom as well to build your own 
schedule and and build the the kind of um work culture and environment that, that you want to work in yeah uh, yeah um okay so penultimate question <laughs> um looking to the future how do you see the femtech sector changing in the next five to ten years do you see um any specific innovations that you can see now are starting to to build up um and progressing or um do you have any kind of predictions about the femtech sector um combining with other with other sectors and and um you know destroying mm-hmm. more taboos um, what are your thoughts so first of all i think we're still early i think i mean there's such great needs out there that can be addressed and that are being addressed but still most of them by very early stage companies so i think we'll see a lot more maturity in the products that are available um i believe that we will start seeing a much closer sort of link between sensors, diagnostics, and data uh, sort of processing companies like Clue so that we'll have rich data sets and we'll have um, maybe the possibilities to look into the body on a more sort of molecular level. Um, And with more data, I think we will also start seeing some sort of consolidation where people's data will start coming together more in one place. Because right now, it's kind of scattered, right? You have your period data one place and then you have your sort of um, running data somewhere else, maybe, et cetera. So I think we'll see sort of data sets starting to come together more. And then um, I think we will start seeing, you know, bigger companies being built in this space and IPOs and merges and all of that good stuff, um, which hasn't quite happened yet in femtech. Mm, that's interesting, the, the idea of having everything in one place. Um. <laughs> and also the whole concept of having sort of longitude health data and that being really valuable is something that we haven't quite, as a consumer, being able to sort of leverage yet. I think that will also be coming in the next years. Okay, um, so final question. What is on the cards for Clue in the next um, year and beyond, the next five years, for example? <laughs> You know, I, I'm just so grateful that I get to do this work every day and I don't take anything for granted. I, you know, there's so many more things I'd love to do for our users. Um, you know, every stage of the journey as you go through these reproductive years presents new challenges and new questions and I'd love to be able to help people through all of them. Um, so I think we'll just keep building. Um, our users are, you know, generous and giving us, their ideas and asking us to do more <laughs> so hopefully we can just fulfill more of these wishes um yeah there's still a lot of work to be done exciting times well we look forward to seeing what you work on in the future and following clue um thank you for joining us today and um yeah you've spoken about a lot of important topics about health and femtech and taboos and yeah lots of lots of cool things so thank you for joining us and have a good day (laughs) thank you everyone for listening and also a big thank you to our podcast sponsor the eu startups podcast is powered by shareworks by morgan stanley combining cutting-edge technology with outstanding client service shareworks by morgan stanley provides solutions designed for the unique needs of startups shareworks by morgan stanley simplifies the complexities of equity plan management helps you engage with your employees and provides your business with the tools it needs to comply with local and regulatory requirements 
As an integrated platform, everything from HRIS integration to audit-ready financial reporting works together seamlessly for improved accuracy, collaboration and decision-making. For more information, visit shareworks.com or check out the link in our show notes to schedule a free demo.